Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. The Pre-Med Year, session number 482. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have a great guest today talking about his journey from Cameroon, being born in Cameroon in Central Africa, and then coming to the States, knowing he wanted to be a physician and making that dream happen. We have a great conversation with Frank today, so let's go ahead and jump in. But before we do, I want to talk about the MCAT Minute brought to you by Blueprint MCAT. If you are in need of some full-length help, go check out blueprintmcat.com for what they have to offer. If you are struggling and need to retake your MCAT, now is the time to get back in and figure out what you're going to do to improve your score, whether you can do it this cycle or if you need to delay a cycle. So as you're going through this process, try to figure out what you can do to improve. If it's possible to improve in a short amount of time so that you can jump in and retake it and still apply this cycle. You can go and schedule a free consultation call with one of Blueprint MCAT's experts to potentially have them help you with this decision. Again, that's blueprintmcat.com. Let's go in and say hello to Frank. Frank, welcome to the Premium Years. Thanks for joining me. All right, thank you very much. Thank you for hosting me. And honestly, it's been a lot of me watching, you know, pre-med, your pre-med podcast and, you know, just like at the start of the application cycle, I'm like, yeah, I was just watching, watching, love the content, you know, use a lot of your advices. So I'm glad I'm here today. Now you are here. When did you <laughs> first realize that you wanted to be a doctor? Well, uh, this is journey that started back in, uh, in Cameroon. Uh, I'm originally from Cameroon. So um, it started in Cameroon because I was born there, but then I moved to Gabon, which is a neighboring country uh, that's on the south of Cameroon. It's like the U.S. and Mexico. So my family, my maternal, uh, my mother's side of the family had relocated there. So I grew up with my uncle who raised me, and um, he's the one like until I was like 12 years old and until he passed away. Ironically, he passed away when we were in Cameroon. That's why everything I said everything started like there when he passed away in front of my eyes. Um, he passed away because he was like having a lot of dehydration that was induced by a lot of, you know, all the stuff that I wouldn't, you know, comment here. 
it was just simple dehydration. And at that time, I was just a 12 year old kid that, you know, that was mission to go and, you know, get palm oil because in the African culture, you know, we have indigenous medication and palm oil is also something that can stop a lot of like, you know, vomiting and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, and then after when I came back home, um, they told me like my sisters that were there, my other cousins told me that he was transported to the hospital and he later passed away. And then that kind of was like an eye opener for me because when I, when after everything was settled and I, and I knew what had happened to him that he just died because he lacked fluid that just like, you know, made me realize that I don't want any, I don't want this situation to happen to someone else, whether it be close to me or, you know, Mm -hmm. like, so I decided I wanted to do medicine. Yeah. So it's, it's funny, right? That's the very, uh, very common story of students probably anywhere people who want to go into medicine they have this journey of someone in my family was impacted in some way positive negative uh, but health was taken away from them and I want to be the one that steps in and gives it to other people right whether whether you're on the west coast of Africa or the west coast of the US it's the same, right? We are humans and how we experience life as kids, typically when a lot of these moments happen in our lives impacts us for the rest of our lives. Isn't that weird? It's like this one thing like sets you on this lifelong journey to, to get to where you are now. So, um, that's, that's, uh, I'm sorry about your uncle, but I mean, obviously, um, it's good for us uh, in the the U.S. in terms of healthcare because you are here now, and hopefully we'll we'll make a big impact on on those patients that you're going to be seeing in the future. So, um, so you're in Gabon, which is just south of of Cameroon on west coast of Africa, on the central central. I would say central part of Africa because the West Coast, they have their own organization and in the center, we have our own. Oh, really? So even though, I mean, technically it is the West Coast, but it's obviously it's kind of a weird shape, Africa. And so Mm -hmm. what's what's more considered the West Coast, like Liberia, like up there? So the northern side. Okay. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Good enough. The heart of like Africa, so north, south, and then the few countries on the south, but a little bit close to the west. Yeah, but it's Central Africa. Yeah. They call it Central. Okay, there we go. Learning, uh, learning some more geography as we go here. Um, so you're you're in Central Africa, and as a kid, you have this idea that you want to go to medical school. Mm-hmm. In that country where you're at, like how is medical education system there for you to go, okay, like I'm going to go to high school. I'm going to go to medical school. I'm going to stay here and, and take care of uh, my, my community. That's a very interesting question, Dr. Gray, because uh, when I started developing um, this interest in, in medicine here, we're talking about 2009, I think I was 11 or 12 uh, years old. Uh, and also around that time as well, like, you know, HIV, uh, the HIV epidemic in, central, in Sub-Saharan Africa, because Central Africa is also part of Sub-Saharan Africa, mm-hmm. was pretty, pretty like uh, a hot topic at that time where like, you know, if somebody had HIV, you like, don't come close to me. Like you would be like, yeah. there's this, this barrier uh, that, that people were facing, people that were infected with the virus. And, you know, I was there listening to like hot conversations, hot topics and all of this stigma that also interested me to do research on HIV. I, I told myself I'm going to be that HIV researcher, that HIV person that's mm-hmm. going to 
drug to finally cure HIV. That was my naive, like, 11, I think still <laughs> around that as my, my uncle passed away. And it's because of all of these reasons I wanted to pursue uh, an MD degree. Uh, it's kind of funny because consciously and unconsciously, I didn't see myself going to medical school in Africa for some reason. Mm. I myself going to medical school. I already know that the, the healthcare system was not that great. It was not the best. And I had inside of me this feeling that I wouldn't attend medical school in Africa because I wanted, for me, I wanted the best training so I can give the best care for my patients. Don't get me wrong. There are excellent clinicians in Africa, but there are not, they are not given the proper tools and the proper equipment to do the job effectively. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to do that. So I never saw myself doing training in Africa. So after my uncle died, I said I was living in Gabon. Um, when he died, I went back to live with my mother for two years, still in Gabon. But then um, the school that I was attending, it was um, it was a Nigerian school. So it was kind of a little bit weird for me. Like I was, I'm a francophone speaking person, but I attended an international Nigerian school in Gabon, which is which was. Uh, my uncle's wish under my sister's recommendation that, that lived here. My sister was already living in the U.S. at that time. Mm. So she told my uncle she wanted me to get an English education. So in my head, I already knew that I'm not going to stay here. I'm going to move. <laughs> so I attended that school and it had a lot of financial struggles. It had to close the school. Like Education was not the best. So I moved to Cameroon for my four final years of high school where I attended a, a Turkish school over there. So... I already knew that my training was not going to be in Africa. So I knew that I was going to, like, I wanted to come to the U.S. That was my dream. And I'm glad, thanks to my sister, thanks to my mother, that that dream finally became possible. And I came here in 2016. So you you come here in 2016, following in the footsteps, it sounds like, of your, your sister. Um, and you decide to, to, you finish high school, it sounds like, in Africa, and then you come for college here. At that point, were you able, because of your sister, were you able to get any sort of like expedited residency status? Or did you have to go to undergrad as an international student? Correct. So when I first came, I was an international student um, for the first part, but I knew that was going to change because my, my mother had just gotten the, 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 the residency and she was going to pass it to me. So that's how I became a resident. Nice. That, so, that definitely makes uh, it easier. It, it made it easier. And honestly, my sister had planned everything. Like, although I fight with her all the time, but she's <laughs> that, you know, that she's the reason why I'm in this country. And Although I had a feeling that I was going to end here because, you know, sometimes there's a proverb that says that whatever you has desires and he desires it strongly, you get it. Yeah. Yeah. So what was the transition like coming from Africa? Lots of different, it sounds like, educational type systems with the Nigerian system, um, a Turkish uh, school, and then coming to the U.S. with our U.S. system, which... Um, is kind of backwards in a lot of ways by itself. What was it like from a, a culture perspective and and a language perspective? Although English is pretty prominent throughout Africa, what what was it like for you to come here and and start undergrad? So first of all, it was a culturally it was a big blow for me. Like that, that was first, you know, whenever you move from one country to the to the other, there is this there's still this shock. And I feel like for me, I was a soldier that had already gone through like like a few wars before going another on another war. Mm. I left, like like I, as I mentioned earlier in my development, um, I lived in Gabon and then I went to Cameroon to, 
for Boshu, my final years of high school, and even going to Cameroon and with Cameroonian parents, it was still a cultural shock for me at that point because Gabonese are very different from Cameroonians, not in terms of like certain things are similar, but like there's still like called like some interactions that are different. So for me, it was hardest to integrate into the Cameroonian system, which is weird, right? Because we are close, but it was the integration there was harder for me than it was to get in the US. And then coming into the US, again, the, the, the part that was a little bit difficult for me was just the accent. I was already speaking English because, as I mentioned, I attended Nigerian school. Nigeria is a predominantly English-speaking uh, country. And then Turkey, although it's Turkish, but it was an international school where instruction was given in English. Mm. So I had this um, advantage of like knowing the English language from Africa, so it was easy for me to to transition in college here, but the accents, my first semester was horrible because I couldn't even understand my professors speaking. <laughs> it was crazy. Like the, my professor, I remember my professors would be speaking in class and I would be totally lost. And what saved me is because I had received a very good education in the sciences back in Africa. So I was able to place at very good courses when my first semester, although I had to take like a lot of ESL English language courses, but I was able to do my work at home and then come to class prepared. Mm. But I couldn't understand the professors. <laughs> yeah, you you come to the states, some some language culture shock. At at any point in the journey, were you like, wait a minute, like, I I've had this desire to be a physician, kind of go into healthcare since I was eleven or twelve. I'm in a brand new country. I have a clean slate. I can do whatever I want. Did did you ever like reevaluate your life and go? Do I still want this, or do I want to go to Hollywood and be, and be an actor? Like, what, what, what was that like for you? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how well of an actor <laughs> I would have been, but I, of course, like you know, those are questions that come up. And even, uh, for example, my sister, even at the house and all that, they were telling me like, yes, I already told them I want to be a doctor, and they were like, oh, why being a doctor? Being a doctor here in America is difficult. You know, they had this like fear that I wouldn't get in. You can do pharmacy, you can do nurse, nurse, like you can be a nurse. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. I mean, I was like, categorically, I'm not going to do that. Although at some point I was like, oh, maybe I should consider pharmacy because I was pretty good at chemistry, received multiple awards at my community college and chemistry and all that. But then I still, I still remembered like, you know, the events of why I wanted to go to medical school. And that was my primary motivation. And that's what actually kept me going. Yeah. what In, in terms of the subject matter, you said you had a pretty good science background uh, from before coming to the States. Do you think for the most part that knowledge translated pretty well and you were able to continue to do well in classes here in the States? I would say definitely I had a good, foundation because uh, the Cameroonian system of education uh, follows um, the British system of education mm -hmm. where I'm not sure if you're familiar with the British system of education. It's like a lot of the AP classes that are a little bit option, like not mandatory in high school here is like, you know, most students that feel like they can handle it, can take it. Yeah. Kind of pretty much mandatory in the British system where your first two years of college are kind of equivalent to your first two, uh, your last two years of high school. Okay. Don't get me wrong. High school, I wasn't understanding anything. <laughs> Those, like, I was there in the chemistry classes and the biology classes, and I just wanted to, like, you know, I was just that kid that was just trying to, like, get through high school. And, you know, 
not very focused kid. Uh, I, I I wish I was, but it's when I got into college and I saw the same, you know, when you see something twice, it becomes easy. So I saw it and I was like, oh yeah, I remember this. Although there is this one new thing that they call dimension analysis that I struggled with a little bit before then I mastered it. But I felt like that was very easy. That that was a very easy tool to like, help yeah. me understand. Yeah. yeah. And it sounds like you had mentioned starting off in community college. Did you do the normal kind of two years at community college and then two years at a four-year university to finish up? Yeah, that's what I did. Um, I like I didn't have like, I think I, I first took my SAT when I was uh, in Cameroon. I did terrible on the SAT. <laughs> 1, I remember 1,000. 50 or 1,150, something like that. That was terrible. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to take the SAT again. Let me just go to like, you know, community college and not waste too much time. So I started at Montgomery College. Um, and I honestly, I felt like for me, it was the best decision because that's where I developed. I, I met wonderful people, met like a lot of professors who were generally there to help me. And I'm still in contact with like a lot of them. And I feel like that's my family. Anytime I go there, I'm always welcome. Like I used to work as a computer. So I feel like that was the best decision for me. Yeah. Did Did you have any concern or knowledge about the pre-med and medical school admissions process uh, about some sort of negative bias towards community college? How did How did you start navigating the pre-med waters and, and knowing that you were doing all the right things in the in that process? I see. Well, uh, I think that's that's a valid question, and and, and that's what I, I kept I keep telling people uh, today that it doesn't really matter whether you go to a community college, but what really matters is whether you continue to do well at a four year college, and and I think it was a good thing for me to like keep that away from my head mm-hmm. when I was at a community college because I felt like that might have distracted me a lot. So my first year at a community college was just more about. Let me just get those grades. Let me study and get those grades and try to adapt myself to the system before worrying about some, anything else. So I wasn't really worried about being a pre-med at that point. So it's the second year when I was, I already know that I was comfortable in my in my flesh, in my academics. Uh, I had a good sense of how things were unfolding at the community college. That I started like opening my, myself. Okay, now let's do what it takes to be, you know, a very good applicant. And I started like, talking to people about my, my my envy of going to medical school. And that was really the key for me. I was reaching out to people, getting opportunities because I was reaching out. Uh, I got my first research experience at the end of my second year in community college. Like, yeah, in community college because I, you know, I was reaching out like there was this uh, NIH uh, community college summer enrichment program uh, fair uh, at, at Montgomery College where we had someone from the NIH coming to speak and that's where my pre-med journey actually started mm. like that's where I actually started you know building I would say uh, I would not say resume but really trying to know whether this is what I wanted to do because I started doing research first and I liked it I, I did research on HIV remember I told you I wanted to like be the next HIV researcher Yeah. and I landed in the lab just because I put in my personal statement that I was passionate about HIV and that's how I got it. And that's that's where things started. And honestly, uh, so to just recircle back and summarize, um, I really started worrying about being a pre-med my sophomore year of community college. Okay. Yeah. And and who were you going to for information? Did the community college have a pre-med advisor, a pre-health advisor, or were you just using Google? Uh, how are you getting the information as a 
an international student not familiar with our system to know that that you were making the right steps? So at that time, uh, as I was saying, like it's my, really my second year that I started worrying about this, and what, it, it was mostly reaching out to people that really made made uh, that really helped me. Like I, I reached, I remember I, I worked as a tutor at the Science Learning Center, and all the tutors there knew me. Like I wanted to go to medical school, and all the tutors were advising me. Well, like I remember this one person, her name uh, I wouldn't call her name here, but she she told me uh, that if I wanted to go to medical school, I needed to have a lot of research experience. And for me, it worked fine because I wanted to do research on HIV. So that's how I was like, I went to look for that research experience and I got it. Yeah. So it's, I was more, way more focused on research because I, first of all, I, I like doing research on HIV. But then that I really forgot that there were other things around is it's really after again by, you know, asking, you know, other people that. I knew that I needed to shadow and all that. Mm. And I already, I already wanted to work in healthcare even before asking people. I wanted to like experience. I, I had put on, put on a couple of applications, but I didn't get in. I was, you know, I was fine doing my, my tutoring job and all that. So at that time, it didn't really, it didn't really occur to me that I could, you know, there, there were YouTubers out there that would, you know, would give people like all of this information on the platter. Uh, Montgomery College had um, health advising offices. Mm-hmm. But that I went to one or twice, but for me it wasn't that very helpful because they were more focused on grades. They yeah. were really. At, um, I'm I'm sure things are probably changing right now, but <laughs> it, it didn't give me the information that you know that you have on the internet, for example, on your podcast, on like you know other people uh, sharing their journey and all that. I wish I had that information earlier because that would have, you know, maybe helped me uh, focus more on like clinical side than the research research side. That's what I focus more on. But it later turned out that I didn't turn out too bad because that research was also very important in terms of the the invitations to interviews I got. But of course I had other things as well. Yeah. Very, very interesting. So the transition from community college to a four year university, how was that for you? So it was I think it was pretty it was fine, actually. The first semester at the at the university, because I went to the University of Maryland, College Park. My first semester, I was like, I was kind of scared because people would tell me, well, you're a good student at the community college. You got a 4.0 here, but it's not the same at the community, at the university. And inside of me, I was like, well, maybe I might, I might meet a different beast to fight. <laughs> so I was, I was approaching my first classes at the community college, like sitting down, like at the front of the class, as usual. And then trying to observe, like, you know, what was different? Like, my first few weeks was trying to really observe what was different. And once I figured out what was different, things got just started rocking. And I just did as great as I did at a community college. Perfect. That's, that's the key there. So in terms of the, the continuing to be a good student, continuing to do the research and clinical experiences and shadowing that you're starting to learn about this, this little test, uh, I think it's called the MCAT or something, uh, becomes a, a beast in people's lives and has notoriously been a, a terrible test for immigrants, especially ESL students. Again, your English is a little bit different because you you spoke English. Um, uh, with with it being a, a big part of um, your schooling and and just again culture in in a lot of parts of Africa. Um, 
what what was the MCAT like for you? It sounds like classes themselves were doable. You were doing well in them. Did was the MCAT just another walk in the park for you? Well, the MCAT. <laughs> I think to be honest with you, that MCAT um, is like you said, it's a beast. <laughs> It's like, I don't know. I I don't know. When, I don't. I don't know. Maybe this is conflictual. Like I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with what is going on on social media recently, with Will Smith slapping Chris Rock. But it's just like <laughs> I, the, I noticed. The MCAT is Will Smith and Chris Rock is basically pre-meds. Yeah. So that, I was I was I was uh, on the shoes of Chris Rock like twice. I took the MCAT twice. Okay. So it was uh, as you mentioned. The ESO students have, like, in particular me, I'm speaking for myself here, it was difficult, not because of content. It's it's not the content that was a problem. It's mainly how the test is framed. The test is like an eight-hour-long exam where it tests your reading, like your reading comprehension and reading speed. How fast can you read this sentence or this passage and understand it and answer the questions? And that's where I feel like me as an ESL student, I was kind of weak because I I could do the thing like if I had like if I could because I was a slow reader. Mm. And this times because like when you have an education in Africa, if you started high school or like middle school in Africa, Africa doesn't train you for this type of exams. That's the issue. It's yeah. not the English language. It doesn't train you for that. Because here, for example, my nephews go to like they're Americans, like I see the, the way they are trained in school, they go to the library, they get books to read as part of their, you know, curriculum. Mm-hmm. It's not the same in Africa where they teach you how to be book smart, but they don't teach you how to read and stuff. Like it's, reading is not part of the education, the education in Africa. And there is like, as I mentioned earlier, the, like Cam- countries like Cameroon and Nigeria following the British system where from a certain class, you... You are being asked what you want to do with your career, whether you want to go in the humanities, the arts, or the sciences. If you decide to go in the sciences like I did, you'll be taking like four classes a year. Mm. If you're in high like just like doing math, a lot of math and stuff. That's why math is never a problem. The science is never a problem. But then when you come on a test like M- the MCAT that gives you, like, for example, a cast passage to read, and you know that you haven't had this training of reading. So for like it's that's where things become rough. It's like now you, you become like, okay, you know how class is hard, right? You have to mm-hmm. read it carefully to understand. So if you're not a very good reader, you're just going to like mess up your whole yeah. exam, this section that is, you know, killing you. So, so how, how, did you, how did you work towards being good at that or at least good enough? Okay. So yeah, my first, my first MCAT was terrible because like I didn't really study the, like, like, I didn't read as much as I, I, I needed to for to prepare for CALF, uh, although my other sections were good, my science sections were, were okay. But then the second time I took the MCAT, um, I did a lot of CALF passages. I did uh, I read a lot of CALF passages. Like every day I made sure I read like at least three passages. Mm-hmm. And I was also a lot of like, you know, scientific passages to help out with like, like biology and chemistry and physics sections. So I read a lot to prepare for the second MCAT. And that helped me a lot because uh, it was mostly the reading comprehension that I improved a lot on my second second MCAT. I did improve my reading speed, not significantly, although because it was just like a year apart and I had to do other stuff in between. And I didn't prep uh, as fully as I, I would have wanted, but it definitely improved because I read a lot of passages. Yeah. 
So lots and lots and lots of practice. Yeah. <laughs> Shocker. It makes seems to help. Um, practice. Practice makes uh, better. <laughs> perfect practice makes perfect. So you you took the MCAT once. You didn't get the score you wanted. A lot of people at that point go, well, I guess I can't be a doctor. Um, what what gave you the encouragement and motivation to go go and retake it? So when I took it, interesting question. Uh, when I took it, uh, I also forgot to mention that my even the second time that I uh, that I took the AMCAT score. I mean, I guess I can. It's my AMCAT. The second time I took the AMCAT, I didn't. It was still not perfect. You know, you can you can do better. And I think it's I, I I studied a lot more content than I should have. I should have just done like you know like focus on the areas that I uh, I didn't know as well. And that comes by doing a lot of practice tests and totally doing the corrections, which I wasn't doing because I didn't have that much time. But of course, hopefully it worked out well. Yeah. But coming back to uh, what you were saying uh, about the... Um, I'm losing my thought here. Um, about the MCAT. Yeah, the encouragement to retake it versus just the- like going, oh, I guess I can't do this. Yeah, sorry. So it was actually a friend of mine when I told him my first call because um, I got a 502. Is it okay if I yeah, say, say it? It's up to you. Yeah, I had a 502 on the first MCAT trial, and my friend. When I told my friend, he's actually one of my, my very good close friends in in academics and all that. He's actually going to Harvard Medical School, but hopefully you talk to him sometime. <laughs> he told me, Frank, this is horrible. <laughs> you, you need to retake it. I was like, what? I did above average. I was like, well, because he knew what I was capable of. Like he yeah. knew that that was not a reflection of me intellectually mm-hmm. as a person. So we like go and take it. And my sister was like, no, nah, don't take it. <laughs> because what if you do like lower than that? Yeah. That was a fear. But I was like, okay. And I knew that my friend wouldn't say that for nothing. Um, and I was like, well, I got to do better. And mm-hmm. I stood down the prep for it and increased my score five points. Got a five or seven the second time. Okay. And it was like in May and the application cycle was already opening. And I was like, five or seven, better than five or two. <laughs> I, felt, I felt like I was, I had other arguments going for me, not just like an MCAT score. And that turned out to be, to be the case. I had other things going for me. Okay. So you get your score back. You, you push ahead with the application. Um, you, you submit an application. You're a resident at this time, so residency status doesn't matter, right? So you're you're not applying as an international student, uh, right. and and as of this recording, uh, you you jumped on one of my Instagram lives uh, a month or so ago, uh, walking out of your uh, citizenship natural uh, naturalization. So you you are a citizen of the U.S. now. So welcome, welcome to our crazy country. Um, yeah. The uh, uh, the process of applying to medical schools is super overwhelming for for everyone, right? For everyone. It's just a, a very overwhelming process. How did you tackle the, the process? Did, did you go in with a specific strategy of like, I'm only going to focus on one thing at a time, like personal statement and then another thing? Like how, how did, what was your strategy going into this? So um, that's a good uh, question. Uh, I actually, as I mentioned, I had my buddy, Jacob. Um, we we went to MC, Montgomery College. We went to University of Maryland together. He's also going to medical school next like, four. 
um, basically, we were in this journey together. And we kind of kept each other like at bay because mm. we knew the hard deadline, which was June, submitting application. So um, whenever there was something that, you know, like I would tell him, okay, start, start writing your personal, like at least a rough draft in March. And he would do it like, he would always do things a month after I did mine. So we were kind of like keeping each other at bay, getting our committee letters in advance. And, you know, I, I was also like talking to him like, hey, let's do things like, okay, because April was when we started getting our committee letters. So first of all, getting the committee letters was like getting online to, because you have to get online if you submit your materials. Uh, after that, you wouldn't be able to like get your letters on time. So that was part of the reason why we started writing our, our personal, the rough draft earlier. So, mm. because our committee required us to draft, like write a personal statement, write or like answer some pre-secondary questions on our committee. So we started everything in March and then sent that to get online for the for the pre uh, for the pre-hub office to review us and give us an interview. So that was what actually made us started uh, start our process early. So I think we started hearing back from the committee like late April in terms of interview and and late April like that. Mm. So at that point we already had a rough draft, and I started working at the NIH as a postback in uh, April as well. And it's something pretty good about the NIH. It's like we have a pre-med uh, health advising yeah. department where we have access to like a lot of fantastic people that will review your personal statement, give you feedback. And for me, it was, it was uh, I had uh, the chance to work with this wonderful lady. Um, her name's Jennifer. So she was the the one that really helped me through my drafts of personal, uh, my, my, my personal statement draft and how to make my story coher- coherent because that was very important. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I started working with how my personal statement got it ready for when the applications uh, open. Yeah. Uh, I submitted my in June on in June third June thirteen because I was waiting for my MCAT score. We was gonna come out like on May twentieth. So she really helped me through the process of like yeah. making my personal statement very cohesive. Why were you doing a postback? So I was doing a postback because uh, I'm a part of the undergraduate the NIH undergraduate scholarship program, which mm-hmm. is a UGSP. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. It's a program that actually uh, is there uh, with main purpose of helping low-income individuals like me uh, navigating uh, through college and helping them um, increase, like have a foot in the door of like of scientific uh, research and, you know, anything that has to do with uh, scientific professional, like scientific professional careers. So that's the main goal of the program. So I received, when I was at the NIH my first summer at the community college, I had the chance that my I developed good connections and relationships. So I came back the following summer in the same lab, HIV Dynamics Application Program. And then the second lab, the second summer is when I heard about the UGSP. And I had a friend that was actually part of the UGSP program that told me, hey, you can apply for it. You're eligible to apply. So I applied uh, with my previous experience as a community college summer enrichment program. And that's how I got in the, uh, I got the UGSP, which is very competitive because it gives you $20,000 of scholarship every year and you have to pay back to the NIH, like the amount of scholarship year you had. So I decided to just choose one. So my final year of high school got fully funded. So I had to pay back one year to the NIH. So that's how I came back. Uh, That's how I landed to the NIH. Okay. Very interesting. So 
nice, awesome experience there for you. The, it just sounds like everything that you've talked about, like the the moment you set foot, maybe not literally, um, in the U.S., you have been very intentional with everything that you're doing, very intentional with with networking and asking people for help and and trying to build connections and relationships and and really uh, where a lot of students go wrong, whether they're immigrants or not, is they they go to school and they sit in a corner and try to do it all themselves. And then they get out on the other side and go, well, I did it all wrong. <laughs> uh, and it sounds like you have been out just asking questions, building and networking and and finding mentors and, and all these connections to help get you where you are today with several, I believe, medical school acceptances. Uh, would you agree with that statement about your intentionality behind everything you've been doing? Definitely. Uh, as I was mentioning the, uh, uh, before in our, in, uh, in our conversation about the community college where I was, you know, I would tell everybody that I want to be a physician and like asking like, you know, what people for people's like advices and all that. And one of the, 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 the teaching assistants that told me you can do a lot of research. And that's how I got involved into research. Although I already wanted to do research, I just didn't know how to go about it. But I had this wonderful opportunity of this NIH officer coming and I talked to her, told me to apply and I applied and I got in. And also that's also how I got my shadowing experience. I was with, I was in my communication class at a community college. Uh, I gave a presentation about basic HIV uh, replication and my classmates were astonished. Like they were like, wow, we didn't know you were that smart. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, well, I, I, I want to go to medical school and I'm passionate about HIV research. And then one of my classmates told me, well, you know what? If you ever like, and I, and I, and I actually told, uh, um, told hard at that time that I, you know, I wanted to like work with the doctor. Uh, I guess I've never done that before. I've done research with, uh, with researchers, but I, I still wanted to like get to, to shadow a doctor, get to see what's the, the life of a U.S. medical doctor. And she was like, hey, guess what? I work as a medical assistant at this private practice and I can definitely put in a word. And that's how I got my shadowing experience. And her and I still are friends today. And I, I, anytime I see her, I'm like, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's how I got my student experience, just because I talked to a classmate. Mm -hmm. And the same thing as well uh, uh, with the volunteering. Um, I picked up my phone one day. I was looking, Googling, like, uh, volunteering opportunities, and Shady Roof Hospital just popped up. And I called the number. And crazy enough, it was a French-Canadian-speaking woman that picked up the phone, and she was so nice with me. And she saw that I was also speaking French, and that's how things connected. And she was like, she'll be more than likely to interview me for a spot. And that's how I started volunteering there up to today. So it's just to say that, like, even being a TA, I was a teaching assistant board at MC and at the university. I was spending a lot of time in office hours. And professors just, like, encouraged me to apply for a TA position. And mm -hmm. it's just like, if you don't reach out for anything, for something, you're not going to get it. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. yeah. What was it like to get the first interview invite? It was it was crazy. I remember I was going into work, and I think after submitting all my application in June, getting a committee letter on time. Thank thank God, uh, I received my first interview invite at the end of August. And I, at that time, I remember my friend Jacob, my buddy, he had already gotten like 
three or four interview invites <laughs> big and i was just there like he was telling me like your time will come and i was working to work one day at 11 o'clock i remember i had my apple watch that's one day i had my apple watch and i was walking through the elevator and i see drexel college of medicine and i was like wow what like interview invite i was just like it was for me it was like this is real the moment I've been always saying that I wanted to go to medical school and this is real. Like at least one medical school wants to talk to me. So yeah. I was very like called my sister, called my brother-in-law, like told my, my parents, like an interview and everyone was just so happy and all that. It was a good experience. That's awesome. What was it like? A, a lot of immigrants that I talked to um, are concerned about uh, being understood because of of accents and stuff like that. When you were going in for your interviews, did you have any concerns about being able to communicate and them understanding you? Uh, obviously, you'd been in the country for several years now. Uh, was that ever a problem? <laughs> I know it was a problem for you understanding the teachers, uh, but did you ever have any problems with other people understanding you and then potentially bringing that fear into a, an interview? Yeah. Like, uh, of course, even right now, there are some people when I speak, like they'll ask me, can you say that again? <laughs> <laughs> so even right now, it's just something that goes on. But at that point, when I got that interview invite, my problem was not like, I, I, like, I wasn't really into that fear of like, I hope they're going to understand everything I say, because I was going in to make sure I, shared my story and I shared it with the best possible tone or voice. I had also practiced with the NIH and the Office of Intramural Inter Training at the NIH. So I had like mock interviews. So I made sure I spoke louder and clearer. Um, so I had gone through some repetitions um, just in case like, you know, I was not sounding very clear. So for me, the most important for me was for, for the admissions officer to get the reasons and my motivations like make sure that those reasons were clear. I was really not worried about my accent. I just made sure I spoke like really loud and clear. Nice. Yeah. The interviews, when you went on them, what, what did they want to talk about with you? Yeah, I mean, for the interviews, it, they were mostly interested in knowing my story. Mm -hmm. that, more, that was the, like for most schools, it was my story. Even when they, they asked a more focused question, like they wanted to know why you were doing this. Mm -hmm. And I think most important thing, and I think it's where, uh, that's where like, that's the takeaway from my interview experience is like anything that you put on your application, there should be a reason why you do it. And you should be able to explain and really like, like explain well, like somebody that's knowledgeable about the activities you did. And that was my experience. I, sh I really needed to like, most of the time it was my story why I did a certain activities and why, why did it matter? Yeah. How many interviews did you end up receiving and going on? So I ended up receiving, I think I ended up receiving a total of like, I would say 13 interview invites, 12 or 13 interview invites. I stopped, I stopped tracking honestly, <laughs> um, my interview from like pretty big institutions like Harvard and Brown. So I, but I think it's, it's up to 13 interview invites. Yeah. Nice. That's a, a lucky, lucky number 13. And, <laughs> uh, the, how soon did the acceptances start rolling in and what was that like? Oh, November. November. I remember that's acceptance. Uh, uh, I was there, um, because I think medical school starts giving decisions on October 1st. 
And I was hoping that I was going to get something on October 1st and my hope got squished because at that time I already interviewed, I only interviewed at two medical schools, which was Drexel College of Medicine and Loyola Stritch University mm-hmm. in Chicago. So I thought I would at least hear back from at least Drexel because I had interviewed in September and Loyola was a little bit like further at the end of September. So yeah. that, that time came and then the portal changed. Well, you guys are going to hear back on October 19th. And October 19th, I'm here at work and stress and I see that I, I got deferred mm. and I'm like, I'm shocked because for me, it was like a reality check right there. But then an hour later, when I saw that email for that I was getting deferred from Drexel, an hour later, I actually got an interview invite from Harvard Medical School and that just made my... <laughs> <laughs> I don't need you, Drexel. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's not like I didn't need that. Of course, I'm very grateful for the... the that was my first interview, so I was I'm yeah. very grateful. But it yeah. was just all about coming after, and I was like, well, you know, instead of my day going like this, yep. at least things were like you know going back <laughs> up. Yes, as as they say, as one door closes, another one opens, and and that works for you. And just to clarify for someone listening, when you you said schools can't accept people until August first, that date is typically August or not August uh, October. Um, that date's typically October fifteenth, and that is a rule set by. Um, the double AMC. So uh, the AMCAS schools typically, and TMDSAS, I forget if they follow this rule or not, um, but typically the MD granting schools, the AMCAS schools, are not allowed to start um, offering acceptances until uh, that October 15th, mid, mid-October date. Now, you'll start to see students on Reddit or Student Doctor Network or Pre-Med Hangout. Uh, before then, start talking about their acceptances and they're they're almost always going to be DO schools because DO schools don't have to follow those same uh, date guidelines. So. Yeah. And then I uh, just like, uh, just to conclude there, uh, and yeah. it was kind of funny, same week, it was in November after I got, you know, this conflicting news and then the same week on a Thursday, got a call from Loyola telling me I got accepted. That was, that was like at four o'clock, I was about to be, Done with the work, I was ready to be done that day. Got a phone call, and I was like, Wow, I love doing like my interview experience at Loyola was one of the best because I went to the campus. I went, there was an in person interview where I traveled all the way to Chicago, and I had a feeling they liked me there. I liked the culture of the school, like the students felt amazing. Like, mm-hmm. I was just like, like My day that I interviewed there, I was, I remember telling my girlfriend, I'm going there, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going there because it was amazing. So, when I got the call, I, I felt like, Wow. This was great news. So yeah, that's how I felt. Yeah. So about thirteen interviews. How many acceptances have you landed with? So I got accepted in uh, six MD programs um, because, like, I ended up turning uh, a lot of the other interviews that came after. Uh, there were a couple of interviews that I came after that I turned down. So I got six MD acceptances. So I interviewed at, uh, I would say I interviewed at eight program and I got six interviews, one rejection post interview. Like, yeah, no, yeah. So 13 interviews, interviewed at eight, got accepted at six, one rejection. Yeah, and one waitlist, I think. Yeah. Okay. So what's your plan moving forward? How do you, how do you figure out where you want to go? So 
uh, right now I'm deciding between, um, I wanted to go to Harvard Medical School um, so bad. <laughs> that was also part of the dream as, uh, you know, I, as an African kid, I wanted to go to Harvard Medical School. Because I, I had this dream that, oh, I was going to change the world. And I felt like that's the only way, the only place to do that was at Harvard. I guess I was wrong. So that yeah. was just something. But uh, I got rejected from Harvard uh, Medical School. Um, actually, I went on nine interviews. Now that I think about it, it was nine. Two pre-interview, two post-interview rejections, six acceptances, one waitlist. So, yeah. And and then I got, like, unexpectedly, I interviewed at Brown, and I got an acceptance from Brown. And after I got that acceptance from Brown, I had, a, like, I, inside me, I knew I wanted to go to Brown. So right now, I'm currently descending between Loyola, which is the first my first acceptance, Tufts University, and Brown. But even though the heart is still lying towards Brown, I still have to consider a lot of other things uh, as well, like uh, financial aid, which is a big thing. Um, so, but I'm more likely, I'm more leaning towards Brown. Yeah. Nice. Well, Frank, congratulations on all your success. Thank you for coming on and, and sharing that with us. For another student who's on their journey to medical school, immigrant or not, what, what words of encouragement do you have for them to, to keep them motivated on this journey? So, well, first of all, thank you for having me. Thank you for helping me uh, sharing my story. Um, it's, it was a great time. And the word of encouragement that I would give them is to like remind yourself why you're doing this. And if you have very good reasons and very strong reasons of why you want to be a physician, those reasons are going to carry you up to the application process, after the application process to interviews, and after the interviews to acceptances. That's very important. And it's also very important to understand that this is a rough process, that you shouldn't be like in your bubble um, always have like family around if you have someone around to like share your blows like some of the schools are going to send you with rejections and you know some schools might not like you some schools might like you but have someone to talk to and i would also conclude by also make sure everything you do in life whether it's like being a pre-med everything you do should have a purpose instead of just taking like ah, i'm gonna do a shadow in to check a boss I'm going to do take on this research to check on the bus. But everything you should do should have a purpose. That's what I will end with. All right. There you have it again, Frank. Congratulations on your success to medical school. Hopefully this will help a lot of people on their journey. Being intentional. That was the, the biggest piece of feedback that I got. Uh, and you'll get next week as well with our guest Alejandro about his journey to medical school, but Frank very intentional about everything that he did, making sure that he's seeking out help, asking questions, building a network and everything else, something that a lot of students miss out on as they're going through their training path to become a physician. Hope you have a wonderful week. Don't forget to check out blueprintmcat.com. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.